Besides a great business plan, one thing that is always top of mind for entrepreneurs is where the initial capital will come from and how to keep the money flowing in to meet all the business needs. This is The Healthy Business Show. I'm your host, Fred Road, and in this episode, Kiet van Zell, the co-founder of VC firm Knife Capital, who will be patched in via Skype, and later, CEO of Merchant Capital, Dorv Gurnum. We're going to look at the topics of financial literacy, managing debt, financial protection in tough times, and other crucial money matters. Kit, it's great to have you on the line. I've been a, a huge fan of the work that you've been doing for some time, and uh, I just love the way you juxtapose the image of a serious investor and VC funder with uh, this image of a leather jacket wearing Harley riding hooligan. Uh, and I believe that you're actually on your way somewhere now. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I'm taking a bit of time out to uh, drive between Nashville and New Orleans down the Mississippi in a, with a Winnebago and a, and a Harley Davidson. So yeah, it's going to be some fun. But um, look, investing is a serious business, but at some point of your life, you've sort of earned the right to have fun while doing it and being authentic also helps in this game. Fantastic. I think there's a lot that's exciting that that it certainly looks like from the outside looking in that you're busy with at the moment. What in particular has kept you busy recently that you're excited about? I think just in general, very excited about the level of um, globally competitive innovation coming out of South Africa. It's always been there, but maybe a little bit under the radar, so to say. And um, you know, just some of the some of the companies we've invested in, and, and not not just ourselves, the venture capital ecosystem, some of the corporate innovation coming in, some of the international venture capital companies have um, have have joined in and co-investing with with companies like ourselves, Knife Capital. And um, yeah, I think the, the the thing that excites us is just to to just be blown away on a weekly basis by entrepreneurs. And at the end of the day, they are the key players here. Have there been some particular examples that you can speak to? Is there anything in terms of the types of of segments that you're looking at and the types of innovation that you, you're speaking of? Yeah, I think I think one can can maybe single out a few, maybe to to be unfair to some of the other myriad of entrepreneurs out there. But if I just think about our track record and 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 stuff, so we've invested in in, in fintech type companies, a company called Fundamo Mobile Financial Services, um, that that had a, a big acquisition a few years back to to Visa. That was 110 million dollars. We've also sold some companies to General Electric. To Garmin and and last year a um, sort of food technology company to Uber Eats. So I think those are some of the, the gives us at least a, a bit of confidence that a we we have some platform or some some formula to do what we're doing and b we are a little bit lucky. But most importantly, it, it speaks to the the level of innovation, global innovation. And then if I just look at what's happening with some of the companies in the South African innovation ecosystem at the moment, it does range from Agritech to drones to fintech to machine learning, you know, obviously I'm biased towards our own portfolio. So we've got a company called Data Profit, which is machine learning sure. and AI for manufacturing. And they've got some some really globally relevant clients. We've got investment in, in Quicket, which is sort of seamless ticketing software, PharmaScout, which is IoT in the pharmaceutical industry. But then there's also, you know, Companies like Snaplify in the edtech space, Clickatel, which is um, you know bulk SMS, you know, also global 
company that's that's also doing well in Nigeria, Aerobotics, which is agri-tech with yes. drones, Yoko FinTech, Intersect, which is sort of more involved in security, online security, Get Smarter, that, that people might know from the ed, educational technology. Sure. I mean, and these are these are South African entrepreneurs that are that are really on the global scale competing and, and doing amazing stuff and getting investment, exiting, growing. And, and I think that is making this a very exciting space. Sure. So there's some real diversity in the segments and, uh, and, and certainly traction from a global perspective that we're starting to see in South Africa. So we fl- we're starting to fly the flag high and showing that also VC from your perspective really can work in this country, which I think has been held in, in you know, as a bit of a doubtful position in the past. And I, I look at your trajectory, Kit, and uh, the fact that, you know, you've come a long way since the early days when you worked with Mark Shuttleworth and you, you know, you, you started the fund with, with them, uh, Here Be Dragons, I believe, uh, HBD. And um, and and towards you know where you are now, what has changed in terms of the ecosystem, and you know what are the challenges that we still face uh, that we need to overcome? When I joined HPD from Investec, when I I think it was in two thousand and six seven around there, so there's also a, a good twelve thirteen years back. Um, you know, since then we, we ran that fund for a few years then. We started Knife Capital, but still with, with Mark Shuttleworth, with, with HBD as an, an anchor client. And, um, you know, wrapping that fund up quite nicely last year with the, with the exit to Uber. I think what, what, one of the key things that have changed is, is way back then, you know, the concept of, of risk funding and venture capital was, was, was very mythical. Not many companies could access it. There were lots of angel investment as, as there is now or always. But um, there are only a few formalized VC funds. Um, also, the institutions didn't really come to the party. It's still a big, a big drought um, uh, out sure. there. But um, you know, if it wasn't for the guys like Mark Shuttleworth or you know Patrice Mutsepe or Rupert or you know Michael Jordan more more recently, sure. there's there's a lot of innovative um, entrepreneurial individuals behind some of the angel investments and the VCs that are that are out there. Um, what has changed is, is there's a lot more. Um, the SARS came to the party a little bit with a um, Section 12J venture capital company structure. Basically, private investors and, 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 and companies, anyone with a tax number, can invest in an approved venture capital company. You know, we are one of them. There are 150 others, by the way. And um, then they can deduct that investment from taxable income. So that has pushed a lot of um, sort of retail investors over the risk edge to say, okay, well, this is a risky space. Um, I'm going to have a diversified portfolio and put some money into a 12J company and, and, and do get a tax break. So that has at least helped um, to, to put some money behind SMEs. But then, yeah, I think the, the landscape incubators, accelerators, mentorship, um, market access, so the corporates are coming to the party as well much more now that has – I think they're a little bit scared of being disrupted. So this whole disruption agenda has um, has really helped the the, the entrepreneurs because um, you know M and A is the new R and D. So instead of trying to innovate within your walls to say, well, let's partner with startups, let's partner with SMEs, and um, and 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 that's the way corporates kind of innovate, which also helps the SMEs to get market access. So I think the main changes are around the the the, the volume of things in this space, but there are still a few obvious gaps. 
with regard to market access and looking at uh, international markets for South Africa, obviously we're in the bottom end of Africa, which sometimes is seen as a as a massive obstacle for investability. I, I noticed, and we couldn't help but notice, you set up a partner office in London with Bob Skinstat as one of the, the partners over there. Is that part of your trajectory now to start opening up international markets for local startups? Yeah, it's actually part of it, but it's a, a sort of a two-way flow. On the one hand, it's not that we want every startup to now grow into Europe and into London necessarily, but it is good to have a base offshore, at least have a soft landing space into international markets. But it's also a little bit the other way around, the capital flow into South Africa. I mean, there's no doubt that the political risks and the intellectual property laws and, and those type of things of of South Africa is still very, you know, protectionary. And yeah, there are a lot of South Africans and other uh, investors that are quite keen to invest in South Africa, but via Mauritius, via London, via Luxembourg, via Delaware structures or, or whatever. So I think from that perspective, it's more for us to, on the one hand, help with access to international markets and networks. And on the other hand, to to facilitate capital flow in of companies that aren't necessarily South African. Sure. And that's very encouraging to see that there is still appetite for investment into Africa and particularly the local ecosystem. In terms of that investability kit, what do you and your fellow investors actually look for? Are there some common traits? Are there certain things that you have? A, do you have like a tick list that you could possibly share with us? <laughs> well, I think that the, the first tick list is that you have to invest in awesome people. And that is a very subjective tick list, but at the end of the day, you know, life is too short to, to make money with, uh, with people that are not, uh, on your page in terms of excitement and, and so forth. Sure. But the magic happens where two things collide. And those two, two things are a good product or service and a large addressable market for that service. And then if you inject an entrepreneur that can execute a good product into a large market, well, that's, that's sort of the magic, you know. So we firstly look at that elements of it, which is the solid investment case. Good product, large market, execution abilities of the entrepreneur. There needs to be some competitive advantage of, of, you know, barrier to entry or, you know, we have to assume a hundred other entrepreneurs are working on a similar product and why will this one succeed? The business model needs to be scalable. I think that's just for us space because we have limited capital. So we, we don't want to invest in capital intensive stuff. It's more innovation driven, but that, but that is now us in particular. Um, the funding needs to go for growth and one needs to know why is what is, what happens five, six, seven years from now? You know, it is a good company and a good investment is not necessarily the same thing. You know, a good investment depends on the valuation. It depends on what is the structure and strategy and so forth. And then, yeah, we look at strong culture and those more softer elements. But that one just picks up by sure. by being close to the entrepreneurs because, sure. you know, things are going to get tough. And um, one needs to know how you're going to address sort of those times as, as a team together to get through it. Sure, that's great. So good people, great products, good market. Uh, execution, scalability, future vision, and uh, and a culture that um, that can grow with it. That's amazing, Kit, and and really appreciate again your time uh, on the way to the airport. <laughs> and you're going to go hang out in a Winnebago and and uh, and drive around the United States on a Harley. So uh, we do wish you all the best for that. Thanks, man. But yeah, I think before we log off, maybe just some hacks for entrepreneurs that might say, or oh, how do I get access to, to funding? You sure. Know, I think firstly, 
funding is not the be-all and end-all. One has to look at how one combines that with some elements of, of mentorship capital. Um, you know, the people behind it, can they open, you know, networks and also access to market, as we touched on earlier. Um, we, we sort of authenticity is one of the key elements. You know, so entrepreneurs need to also understand that there is an element of, of, of having a good product and having a financial model behind that product and a business model and all the rest of it. There is an element of gamification. You know, it is a networking game at the end of the day. So one has to get referrals from people who know, you know, who you want to get funding from. And maybe some pearl of wisdom is there is that, you know, if you want advice, ask for funding. And if you want funding, ask for advice. So entrepreneurs need to maybe look a little bit more carefully at who they select as, as their mentors around themselves and, um, and, and yeah, just bounce it off people. And at the end of the day, these things lead to opening doors and leads to funding. Awesome. That's amazing. Thank you. Dov, thank you for being in studio with us. You're heavily involved in the local funding space and uh, you're also not only the founder and CEO of Merchant Capital, but also the chairman of SASFA. So if you could maybe just explain a little bit about what SASFA is. Yeah, sure, Fred. Thanks for having me. And uh, it was fascinating hearing about uh, Kiet's um, viewpoint of the world, but um, I must say I'm quite jealous about his upcoming trip. Uh, it sounds, sounds pretty good. So, so let me answer your second question first. So we um, founded SASFA, which is a South African small finance association. And essentially what it is, it is a self-regulating body which was founded by the the main players in the alternative finance space in South Africa. So that would be ourselves, Merchant Capital, Retail Capital, Lula Lend, and Transaction Business Services. So we really took a leaf out of the global precedent, what has happened um, in, in our space, specifically in the U.S., uh, Europe, and Australia, where typically alternative finance for small business owners is not regulated. So we took a proactive step to say, let us self-regulate ourselves. So first of all, when um, regulators do come into the space, we are quite front-footed and um, have been proactive in setting up some sort of regulation. But more so, as this space grows in South Africa um, and um, the lenders become more homogeneous, we wanted the clients or the merchants, in our words, who are actually taking out the funds to have some comfort as to who the lenders are that are providing them with product. So if you're a SASFA member, you have to adhere to a um, code of conduct, which is what we've developed. And really that code of conduct um, speaks to uh, responsible lending, not punitive interest rates, um, actually selling what your, your sales team talks about, um, treating your customer fairly, etc. So, so we feel that in, a, that in a space that is relatively nascent at the moment, as the space grows, um, this SASFA or this, the self-regulating body will be a, an important value add to the alternative lending space. Awesome. I think from my own perspective of being an entrepreneur, it has in the past two decades really felt sometimes like trying to find money has, has felt a little bit like the wild west. So I guess that's kind of what you're addressing, right? It's, it's trying to bring a little bit of regulatory, 
uh, oversight to to the industry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I think exactly to your point, and specifically in South Africa, sort of consumer micro lending um, has been tarnished with 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 a bad brush. So we want to make sure that we as business lenders um, are seen as credible, responsible lenders. And you know, we're not lenders of last resort. We lenders for um, the growth of small business in South Africa. And really, by starting this association, you know, we thought there would be front foot and we welcome all alternative lenders in in South Africa to join SASFA um, because we believe that um, as as a as the industry grows it's going to be a good place to to host all the incoming alternative lenders what are some of the different ways that funding can be uh, obtained i mean if if i'm a startup business i mean it, it, i think you know particularly in in um in my experience and i i i Personally, mentor mm. a number of young entrepreneurs. I know that it's quite difficult. Where do I start, and and what are the options available to me? Yeah, Fred, that is the the, the million dollar question, I guess. And and I'm going to talk more about the space that that we operate in. Um, I guess Kiat spoke about VC and startup funding. So we are not in the startup funding space. We are are more in the in the growth funding space. So once you are a business and you have got some track record and you know you got some people actually buying the product that you're selling, um, really the next step to take your business to the next level is is growth capital or, or working capital. And I guess your alternatives there um, are limited, right? Because the banks typically, uh, the existing incumbents, don't fund early-stage high-risk businesses, um, and they like to see track record and collateral. So, and I think specifically now in this um, environment that we're in, where sentiment is down, consumer spending is down, growth is down, um, if the banks ever were playing in this space, they've they've pulled out even further. So, the options that are that an entrepreneur business owner would have is is firstly the obvious one is friends and family right and and we obviously recommend against that for for obvious reasons but sometimes that can work out um, secondly is if you can motivate to your bank for an overdraft or, or credit card the problem with those two options is they are exhaustive and they're definitive so they they run out right and then thirdly would be, you know, going to look um, at alternative finance providers, which is the space that, that we currently play in. There's a couple of derivatives in between that, but I would say those are your three main options as a small business or an entrepreneur trying to grow your business. Can you talk a little bit into how is government assisting the industry at the moment? Are you feeling it or do you feel like, particularly with SASFA and the, the viewpoint that you have there, that you know, we kind of have to, you know, shake it by the label and make it work. Or do you think it's it's starting to happen? So, now? Fred, I think I think the intentions are there. Certainly, there's been the SME fund that is set up, and you know, you've got the the big corporate CEOs like Adrian Gore, etc., who are um, involved in that. So, I think the the sentiment and the intent is there. The problem that these guys have is actually understanding entrepreneurs and understanding the, the requirements and what these guys need to grow their business. So there's no one-size-fits-all product for these guys. So a big fund hosted or funded by government is only, in, in our view, going to help um, a fraction of the SME space because the, these guys have tailor-made requirements that they need and really only – Entrepreneurs can understand what these entrepreneurs need. So I do think they are moving in the right direction. You know, we, we hope. 
that um, this can alleviate some of the, the the huge funding gap that currently sits in South Africa, which could assist with the systemic problems we're having with unemployment and crime, etc. So there's definitely moves in the right direction. The fact that big business, private business, has got involved, I think, is fantastic. You know, it's great to see the likes of of Adrian Gore, etc., um, who are really putting their their money where their mouth is and trying to support SMEs. Dov, you've got experience with both local and international funding environments. Can you talk a little bit to the difference that you're experiencing and and the challenges in particular that we're experiencing here, and why it's important that we overcome these challenges and really stimulating the entrepreneur sector. Yeah, I think the, the stimulation of the SME entrepreneurial sector is, is fundamental to the success and, and growth of, of the South African economy. The, the main difference, Fred, that, that we see is that the whole Silicon Valley hype around, um, you know, big exits and valuations is only relevant in Silicon Valley. And really in, in South Africa, and I guess in most other developing markets in the world, you know, businesses need to make a profit or show good revenue and show good growth in order to be investable. So people unfortunately get jaded by these stories that they read about these, these so-called unicorns in, in Silicon Valley. But really the, the truth is that you still need to build a solid business with solid foundations, good operating systems, good people, good culture, good financial management in order to be investable um, and in order to, to grow your business. So I think people need to really focus back on the fundamentals of growing a business, about finding a, mo- a big enough market where the people want to buy your product, having the right team, investors, shareholders, and culture to, to actually try and build that business. At what point should an entrepreneur sell or at least sell a part of his business? I guess that's also a million-dollar question. That, that, that is the million-dollar question. Um, so I guess well, I'll talk a little bit from our personal experience, um, and I haven't exited a business yet. So I guess, um, and, and it goes to what Kurt was speaking about earlier, is the fundamental characteristic that one needs in a shareholder or an investor is stating the obvious you need capital, but really it's smart capital. So you need an investor who can come into your business that can help you scale. Now, that could be different in different um, industries. That could be opening up networks. It could be introducing you to new technologies. It can be helping open doors into different geographies or whatever that may be. But really, it's about finding partners who first and foremost are aligned culturally and have the same vision and values that that you as the founders of the business have because if there's conflict there um, it's never going to work and secondly um, these guys need to have a vested interest in the product or service that you're selling and actually believe in it so it's not just a financial investor who's looking to make a return but rather a strategic investor who can open doors provide a network be a mentor and and obviously provide you with sufficient capital to help grow your business you've had experience with investing in a good number of businesses what does a healthy business look like so I think that answer depends on the industry, the, the vertical that you're talking about, et cetera. But I think just as a, as a rule of thumb, 
Um, I mean, interestingly, if you simplify it to a, a micro level, one thing that we look at, um, and I'll talk about some of the other attributes in a minute, but businesses that are owner managed is very important, right? So if you are, um, funding a woman's retail business that a, a wealthy husband has bought for his wife just to keep her busy, um, but she's never there and she just hires a manager, you know, you can feel it when you walk into the shop. You know, this manager is behind the till, they're on their phone, they, they are genuinely not interested. The difference that you feel, or when you go to a restaurant as an example, when you've got the owner of the restaurant there, just the level of service and the passion is completely different. So owner managed is, is very important. A healthy business needs to have a good understanding, a very good understanding of the unit economics of their business. So they know that for every employee that they recruit, they're going to make X amount of money or the service, they can mark up the service by by X margin and therefore going to make a certain return. So really understand the the nitty gritty of, of the details of your unit economics of your business. In addition to that is Know your finances and numbers very well. So if you are not a finance or, or a numerate person, make sure you hire the best possible finance person that you can afford. Because if you don't have insight and visibility into the income statement and balance sheet of your business, irrespective of the size of your business, you know, why would someone look at investing in you if you don't understand your numbers uh, backwards? And then I think lastly, and this is probably more of a subjective, softer issue, but really there needs to be a passion and a belief in the product that you're selling. You know, and, and that can be whatever it may be. But if you need to be a genuine passion in what it is that you're doing comes out. You know, I always I always think of what Stephen Kosser from Investex says is that they hire for attitude, not for technical skill. You know, so people need to be positive, proactive. Um, and have a good attitude towards what they're doing, irrespective of the level of the organization or the size of the business. That's great. So passion, the unit economics, understanding of the money stuff and the culture. So I think lastly, you advise entrepreneurs and business owners. You see the commonalities in successful businesses and mm. the aspects of business that they really need to look after. Can you speak to some of those areas that you would really kind of look to and and potentially some of the innovations that are accessible to entrepreneurs these yeah, days. Sure. I guess it's, it's relevant talking about the current state of the economy that we're in now, right? So you're either a business owner or an entrepreneur who is um, an optimist, so half glass full or half glass empty. And what we're seeing across our, you know, thousands of existing customers is that the guys who are complaining and saying, well, we're waiting for elections and there's load shedding, those are the guys that won't succeed. Because they almost are, are giving up. But the other, the other percentage or the other half of the guys who are seeing opportunity in the chaos are the guys who are innovating. You know, they're the ones who are saying, right, we've got certain taxes, if, for lack of a better word, about living in the country, right? I need to get a generator so that when there's load shedding, I can still operate. If people are selling at bargain sales, I need to find opportunities. If I'm a small business owner in a mall and I'm seeing lots of shops closing around me, I know the landlord is under pressure. Let me go negotiate my next 12 months rental. Tell the landlord I'll be there for the next 12 months, but give me a 20% discount. So I think it's about finding opportunities in the chaos that we're currently experiencing. And, and interestingly enough, we are seeing a certain 
section of our portfolio where the guys are actually doing better than they were doing in the good times because they're seeing opportunity, they're being innovative, they're being front-footed, they're taking calculated risks. And they're just being positive about it because I think the, the alternative is, you know, around the negativity is, is you might as well close your doors because if you're blaming all the external things that you actually have no control of, it's going to be very difficult to succeed in a difficult environment. Essentially, what we're saying is the entrepreneurial heart beats strongly in South Africa. And I think if you look at your perspective on things at the moment and, and certainly in comparison to internationally, and I mean, we're seeing little hubs and hotspots being developed all over the world, like, mm. you know, Tel Aviv, and you've also got Beijing and mm. Tallinn and Estonia and, and Shoreditch in London. Yes. You're looking at these ecosystems and these really thriving, exciting hubs that are fostering amazing results. Mm. So you mentioned unicorns. I mean, we're seeing, you know, in a tiny little country like Estonia, four mm. unicorns uh, coming out of a country of, of one million people <laughs> in the last decade. I mean, it's, it's incredible. However, in the whole of Africa, if you look at the startup culture, we have only one unicorn, one company that has a billion dollar valuation, valuation. a startup, which is Jumia, right? In, mm. in Nigeria, we have this entrepreneurial spirit and you've seen it and you've mm. seen the guys who look at innovation where there's problems. Yes. What are we missing? It's a valid question, um, and, and I would need to think about it a little bit further. But one thing I do find about South African entrepreneurs or, or African entrepreneurs is they they struggle to elevate themselves and look at their business and um, and product offering on a global basis. So whereas people in, in Stockholm or Berlin or Tel Aviv, you know, when they are building product or building technology, they're thinking about global application. Whereas in South Africa, um, the entrepreneurs that we see are looking to build a solution for a very small market. You know, there may be lots of people, but their, their addressable market may be quite small. So I would say, um, you know, one word of advice, which, which I personally do, because I find also I get you know, as a, as the leader of a business, you get entrenched in the day to day and you're in the trenches, right? So very, um, occasionally, but I'm trying to do it more often is to elevate myself out of it. And whether that's traveling to, to overseas conferences or I've been fortunate enough to, to go to Harvard Business School for an executive education course. I'm going again now in August to, um, to Stanford in, in Silicon Valley. So it's about being exposed to, um, more global thinking um, and just elevate your your actual mindset and and actually think that just because we're from South Africa or Africa doesn't mean that what we're doing here is not global that there's not applicability globally and that is how you start getting these unicorn type of valuations you almost have to think big to get big I couldn't agree more. I think that uh, we certainly do have the talent and we have the ability. It's just about that, that I suppose the character and the mindset of, of an entrepreneur. And if we have the, the entrepreneurs and we have the great ideas and we have the, the vision, do we have the money? To invest in them, I mean, from your perspective. So I guess that talks to what Kurt was mentioning earlier, is that in the last couple of years, you have seen this emergence of, of a VC culture in, in South Africa. It's not what you're seeing in, in Silicon Valley for obvious reasons, but the rate of change is quite high. So I do think um, there, there is that opportunity. And also what you're starting to see is a lot of the big incumbents who certainly do have the money are starting to either create their own 
fintech incubators or startup incubators or investing in entrepreneurs or businesses. So I'm hoping that that combined with the private VCs, they will then see a shift in the, the quantums of capital available for these entrepreneurs. Dov, lastly, what are your top pieces of advice in terms of becoming investable and really being an investable company? Fred, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. So off the top of my head, there's no specific order. The top five things would be make sure that you understand your finances and unit economics very well. Because as I said, if you don't understand them or you don't have a partner who doesn't, then you know the investor is going to ask questions. Number two would be passion. You need to demonstrate genuinely and authentically the passion that you have for this business because the investor is, if there's a problem in the business, they want you up at four o'clock in the morning anxious and worrying about it before they do, right? The third thing would be try and find a product that has applicability for a large market because if you're trying to go after a niche but your market is limited to a 100 or a 1,000, it's going to be very difficult to scale that business. So try and find something that doesn't require huge amounts of capital and then you can rather leverage economies of scale and get to scale through technology or whatever that may be. Fourthly, you know, you need to cover the bases when it comes to just building a simple business. So you need to have access to a good HR system, which, which would be from a cultural point of view. If you're a retail business, you would need to have business insurance. You know, you would need to have business interruption insurance because if there's something goes on and you can't trade for three weeks, which is out of your control, those three weeks can put your business out. So business insurance, the right cover and business insurance is, is very important. And lastly, I think the, 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 probably the most important thing as well is having the right team around you. So to simplify it, if you are a person who is um, very numerate and good with numbers, but you are building a market, a marketing business or that needs a big sales uh, led organization, try and find the best marketing or salesperson that you can find and try not duplicate your management team. Try have complementary skills across your executive team that can actually Add so one plus one must be equal to three, um, and just try and, and afford you know obviously subject to affordability the best possible people that can help grow your business. I love that. I think it speaks a lot to me in my old business, uh, which I sold a few years ago. My business partner was way stronger in terms of the structural elements of the business. And I was more the sort of outgoing kind of uh, the the networking type. Exactly and, right. and we used to say, I would uh, make the promises and Mike would keep them. Dov, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate uh, the wisdom and the experience and, and really excited about merchant capital and the work that you're doing with SASFA. Uh, it's a really exciting space to be as we've heard today and uh, we look forward to the next leg of your journey great thanks for having me fred it's been fantastic thank you hey everyone thanks so much for listening to this episode of the healthy business show if you love this podcast do let us know via social media tag at discovery underscore essay use the hashtag dsy healthy business and please do rate us on your favorite podcast platform whether it's apple spotify or wherever you find your shows You can also find more episodes on the Discovery website at discovery.co.za forward slash corporate forward slash podcasts.